Well, good morning. Am I on? One, there we go. That's great. Thank you. You want to just turn me down just a little, little bit there? That would be great. I'm going to have you stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And, you know, when you come into church, you never know where people are at and how many recognize that people are walking through different things. So, you know, this morning I was informed we have a new baby in our church family. Yay. Uh, And then uh, earlier this morning, someone said uh, one of our children passed away. So, you know, you go from there to down here all within a moment. So let's pray today because there's people with needs everywhere. Isn't that true? And like this week, I was visiting with someone who's preparing to slip into eternity. And, you know, and that's, it's a beautiful thing when you're ready to go. And this person is. And they just shared with me, they've been living in a a seniors complex. And they said, Pastor, I've had the privilege of asking people where they are at with God. And she says, I've had the joy of leading seven people to Christ. And I thought, this is so beautiful. And she's having a great day. And maybe the next, the day before, she slept all day. And uh, so I had the joy of visiting and we talked about eternity and being ready to meet our God. And and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, And so I wanna pray today, wherever you're at, whatever the need is, from the family that just lost a child, well, yeah, it's a child to them, an adult child, to the ones that are celebrating having a newborn in their home. Let's pray today. Maybe you're here with needs in your life. Just raise your hand. Let's ask God to move in every situation. And above all, this is my prayer today, that we will hear the voice of God. Not the voice of a pastor explaining a text, but the voice of God speaking in your innermost being. Because that's the most important thing, isn't it? So Father, I pray today for uh, the joy that's in the family of this uh, newborn one. I pray as well as the sorrow that this beautiful family with the loss of a son And I just pray, Lord, that you in both situations would be with them, that you would walk beside them comforting, celebrating, uh, encouraging. Uh, Lord, I just pray as well for many of us here today as we are uh, different places in our journey right now, I ask that you would speak powerfully into our lives, that the voice of the Father would be heard in our soul. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles. Uh, We've been doing a series on the book of Jeremiah, and I'm going to continue that this morning. We're in chapter 13. Now, as many of you know, uh, Patty and I have had the privilege of living in other communities. We've lived in Red Deer probably the longest of any place. I think we've been here now 34 years, so that's a little while. But uh, we've also lived in Seattle. And some of you have probably been in Seattle. How many have ever been down to the waterfront in Seattle? Anybody been there? Anybody ever go to the Ye Old Curiosity Shop? Anybody actually venture down there, all right? Just a few of us brave souls, right? And I, I say that's the place where all the weird and bizarre things are found. I mean, you can find a two-headed calf there are mummies there, shrunken heads, animals in jars floating with some sort of you know, liquid substance. And, 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 you know, I was thinking about this. You know, people often forget what you say. Anybody know that? That's true, that people forget what we say. But it's amazing. People are totally intrigued by the bizarre and the weird. I mean, that, some of those things you just don't forget. Isn't that right? So God, every once in a while, when he wants to amplify his message because people aren't listening, 
he gets these prophets to do symbolic action so that people will be aroused. Their curiosity actually will be piqued. And that's done in order to reinforce the messaging that he's trying to convey to the people. And here in Jeremiah 13, God is asking the prophet to do uh, an interesting thing. And I don't know if you've ever, uh, you know, read this chapter before. I've read it many times. And in my Bible, there's usually a little heading above the paragraphs. And mine just says, a linen belt. And I've read the story and I'm going, what's so important about what God asked Jeremiah to do? Well, it's not how significant the action is, it's the meaning behind the action that Jeremiah is gonna convey God's message. Not only does he do that with this linen belt or this uh, garment that's wrapped around his waist, it could be a loincloth or a girdle of some kind, Bible doesn't say. I mean, these are interpretive decisions. But a little later on, he takes a very common saying and then gives it an interesting twist, God does, through prophet Jeremiah. And then, uh, while these people are continuing on, you know, doing their own thing, God gives them another experience, another saying. Now, how many have ever had those moments in life where you're having a dream and you feel like you're either falling or someone's chasing you and you can't get away or you just keep falling or whatever. Anybody had those kinds of experiences? You're going, you know, like, this is so weird. I mean, can I please wake up, right? I want out of the nightmare. Well, he does that in this chapter as well. We're gonna take a look at a number of these things. And what we're really gonna discover is why we are here on the planet. Like, what's our purpose? What's the meaning of life? You know, I was sharing this with our, our guys that usually pray with me in the morning. And of course, some of you know Rob Schneider. And Rob's got a great sense of humor. So immediately, he's uh, got his uh, device there, his electronic device. And he goes, Google, what's the meaning of life? No answer. <laughs> I said to Rob, what does it say? Well, later on, we kind of went through it. And it, it has, whatever you think the meaning of life is. I mean, it's a very generic answer, right? I said, Rob, we should tell Google, tune in to Livingstone's church because God's gonna tell people this morning what the meaning of life is all about, why we're on the planet, what the purpose is, right? We wanna give them the right instruction here. So what we're gonna discover today, not only what the meaning of life is, but what keeps us from God's, I'd call purpose or intentions for our lives. What is it that hinders us from really fulfilling what God initially designed you and me to do? What hinders us from doing those things? And so I wanna take a look at four snapshots of how we can miss God's purposes for our lives. And the first one is seen, is seen in living what we would call a completely useless life. Now, I don't think most people starting out say, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm growing up, I, my goal in life is to live a useless life. I've never met anybody, you know, and you're interviewing little kids, what do you wanna be when I, you grow up? I wanna be totally useless. I, I've never heard that response yet, you know? They usually have a different kind of an answer, but that's not one I've heard yet. Maybe you guys can tell me if you've heard that one, but I haven't heard it. So when you look at these beautiful little people, they're one and a half, two, three years old, you say to yourself, there's all this beautiful potential in their life, but somewhere down the road, things begin to happen. And I'm gonna to suggest today that 
if we don't understand who God is and what his purposes are for our lives, what begins to shape us are all the experiences we have in life. And then these experiences begin to define our lives. And sometimes they're so painful, so heart-rending, so crushing that people, I think, begin self-medicating and doing all kinds of stuff. And it renders their life in many ways without a lot of value. And there's a lot of brokenness. And we find that we're picking up broken lives as if there were broken pieces. And that's so tragic. So let's take a look here at why so many come short of God's design for their life. And it was Henry David Thoreau that said, uh, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Now, I remember reading uh, not too long ago a statistic about suicide and what's happening in our world. And this may, may surprise some of you, but, you know, we always think of young people committing suicide. There, there are a very high level of young people committing suicide today. But I'm going to say this. The, the one that's the most intriguing to me is men over 50. And... It's really interesting that there's a very high percentage of men over 50 that terminate their lives. And the reason being, I think, is because for many of them, they feel like their life has got very little value. Maybe they've walked through broken relationships. Uh, they don't see any value to their life or meaning. They don't, they don't feel good about themselves. You don't end things if you feel good about yourself. And so my prayer today is that that will not be our story. My prayer today is that we will rekindle, or if we haven't discovered it, we'll discover the purpose that God has for us or we'll rekindle it in our life today so that we can have great joy and great contentment, great hope in our lives. You see, we were designed by God, and we're gonna see it in the text here in a moment, for his renowned praise and glory. In other words, you and I were created for God. You and I were created to bring honor to God. And when we do that, this is so beautiful to me. It's not, you know, we think, well, you know, God's kind of focused on himself. No, he knows that what really makes you and I excited and happy and fulfilled is when we actually are, are completing his, his design for us. And when that begins to happen, God starts getting credit for our lives. He's honored because of what God himself has put into our lives and how that is being lived out into our lives. And other people are impacted by it. As a matter of fact, we had someone uh, share the story. Uh, I'm going to share it in a nebulous sort of way because I haven't really asked permission. But there was a person that uh, was really struggling during the pandemic. How many think, well, that's not, that's not abnormal. A lot of people struggled. But this individual had no church background, didn't know God, didn't know Christ. And they were working uh, during the pandemic, which was a great thing. But where they worked, they had restrictions. And how many know that a lot of people didn't treat people at these places that had restrictions very politely? Does anybody know that's true? And there was a lot of abuse that this person received in the last two years. And they began to question. Now, see how God can take a negative thing and use it for good. They began to question, you know, is this all there is to life? And then they decided to evaluate the, some of the people in their lives, uh, her, this person's life, that, you know, they, they seemed to have, you know, joy and they had hope and they had peace in their life. And there was four people that came to this person's mind. And she realized that every one of them had something in common. And you know what that common thing was? That they all knew God. And they all knew Christ. 
And so their lives in some sense now is bringing renown, praise, and glory to God. And as a result of that, this person began to attend our church and got wonderfully, became, became wonderfully saved, gave her life to Christ, and her life has been changed. Isn't that a beautiful thing? See, that's what God is interested in, seeing this transformation happening in people's lives. Well, when I got up this morning, I, I had the joy of having my grandkids over at my house, and they're morning people like they're poppy. You know, that's what they call me. And so I'm in my office working away. It's 547, and I noticed a little noise, and so these two little people come into my office, and so I, I said to them, we've got to be quiet now. And so we go down the stairs, down to the main level, and I said, how would you like to learn a Hebrew word? And they went, yes. These guys are excited learners. They really like this stuff. And so we're going to take a look in our text. The first idea in our text today that I want to look at is a Hebrew word, dabak. Dabak. And dabak means to cling to, to be bound to. And it's an idea that God wants us to understand. I mean, this is an idea that we're all going to learn today. Because at the end of the day, we're going to find out that our purpose is to be bound to God. We're going to see that in the story that Jeremiah begins to communicate for us. God's trying to get across to this group of people that they have not done what he wants them to do. They have literally lived what we would call an autonomous life, an independent life from God. They're really not doing what he's asking them to do. So in verse 1, we pick up our story. In chapter 13, this is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt. Now, it could be a girdle. It could be a loincloth. Uh, translators debate it, doesn't really matter. The point is to put it around your waist. But do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and I put it around my waist. Aren't you so happy that the prophet is obedient to God? And here we notice the material is made of what? Linen. Now, do you know what's significant about that? Well, first of all, the priests in the temple could only wear linen garments because they were not allowed to sweat. Because, you know, when we serve God, it shouldn't be that we're sweating. You know, it's, it's the idea that we're doing it in the power of God, not in our own human effort. But the second idea is that it's an idea of intimacy. And we see that in the New Testament. When we're, we come to heaven, this is so beautiful to me. And there's a portrait of our relationship to Christ in heaven. Here's how it's described in the book of Revelation. It said, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. Who's going to be glorified? God is. For the wedding of the lamb, who's the lamb? That's Jesus Christ. He's the lamb that died. He is the sacrificial lamb that died for us. The wedding of the lamb or the wedding of Jesus Christ has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who's the bride? Well, that's the church. That's the people who are followers of Christ. We're the bride. And so how many recognize when you have a wedding, there's a sense that there's going to be a level of intimacy following the wedding, right? Everybody understand that. So it says in the next verse, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. So her wedding garment is made of what? Linen. And then we have this little footnote. This is written right in the text. It says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of, of God's holy people. Isn't that beautiful? So, you know, you think about righteousness. It's what God imparts to us. He gives us righteousness. We have a right standing with God. And out of that relationship, we start living 
the right kind of life. We end up doing the right things. It flows from our lives. Then he goes on here, back to Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. He's already went out and bought the linen garment or belt. He says, take your belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and now go to Parath and hide it there in the crevice in the rocks. Now, how many already say, this seems like a stupid thing to do? You could start arguing with God now, right? Hey, you just told me to buy a brand new belt and now you're telling me to go bury it. But you know, Jeremiah, what does he do? So I went and I hid it at Parath, as the Lord had told me. He says, I just did what he told me to do. How many it's great when you just do what God tells you to do? Because God has a purpose in this. It says, many days later, the Lord said to me, go now to Parath and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Parath and dug up the belt and took it from the place where I had hidden it. But now it was ruined and completely useless. Hmm. Now, some people translate it, some translations, it'll, instead of saying parath, it says Euphrates. Because the Hebrew word there, you know, can be translated Euphrates, and some translations say the Euphrates. And I may know the Euphrates River, pretty significant river in the Middle East. It actually is one of the boundaries of Israel, and on the other side of the boundary is actually where Babylon is. That's a very important picture. Now, if this is the river that he went to bury the it's like 350 miles away. This is not a minor little trip. This is gonna take, you know, you travel by foot 350 miles and then come back. You know, time elapses. And so some of the scholars say, well, that was probably, you know, they, they think that's what happened. And so when Jeremiah finally comes back, they said, hey, Jeremiah, where have you been? Well, I've been over to the Euphrates bearing a belt. You know, why'd you do that? I have no idea, you know. And then God tells him to go back over. So he's gone again. They go, I wonder where Jeremiah went. Well, back to the Euphrates. He's got to go get the belt, right? Comes back and he's got this ruined belt. I mean, what's all that about? And then Jeremiah begins to explain to them. See, he's got their attention. Now, personally, I, I kind of agree with some of the other scholars who say, no, there's a spring nearby. It's the name Parath. And it's probably a few miles away from Anathoth, which is the hometown of Jeremiah. And that probably is what's going on. Location isn't the big issue. The issue is that this is a piece of clothing that should have been worn near one's body and not concealed in a place where it would be ruined. That's the point that God is trying to get across. And so I take a look at this word ruined for a minute. And then, you know, the thought is simply this. It's got nothing to do with a piece of garment that's being ruined. God is talking about what ruins our lives. That's the point of the whole story. So what ultimately does ruin us? And... I think the number one reason why we live a ruined life is we live for the wrong purpose, okay? Can you see that? We have the wrong agenda. You know, a lot of times, we just begin to follow our sinful inclinations. We live for ourselves. We have our own agenda. And it literally leads us in a certain course and path that leads to broken relationships. It creates hardship and heartache, not only for ourselves, but for others. And it's really not why God designed us. We're missing the whole purpose of why God designed us. And so the fundamental sin that brings about our downfall in this chapter, he's going to tell you, is pride. Living an autonomous life. Living an independent life. So we, are, we become ruined. Look at, he picks up the story again, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says, in the same way I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. 
These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their own hearts, that's a good definition of pride right there. If you're a stubborn person, that's not a good thing. You need to be open to God and go after other gods to serve and worship them will be like this belt, completely useless. So what is he saying? He said, if we don't follow God and his purposes for our lives, what we're really doing is ruining our lives and ultimately we'll live a useless life. How many go, I don't want that to happen? Remember, I go back to those little children. Nobody starts out saying, oh, I want it. when I grow up, I want to be completely ruined and useless. I don't think there's anybody signs up for that. I think what happens is we start out doing our thing and re don't realize that we're not fulfilling God's design and eventually it gets us where we're, we're on our own, we're autonomous from God, we're trying to figure life out on our own resources, and we become uh, a victim of the, all of the things that happen in life. Because a person who has God's purposes in mind can rise above many of the challenges that are lying before them. But the person who doesn't have a higher calling and purpose in life, they seem to come underneath the weight of all the problems of life, and it crushes us and we become ruined and useless. Now, you know, as I was looking at this text, a couple of thoughts quickly came to my mind when I was reading it, just kind of quickened to me. And the first one was simply this, then the word of the Lord came to me. How many here say we probably need God's word to come to us? We need to hear what God has to say to us. I need God to speak into my life. And I think the only way that the word of God comes to us is if we expose ourselves to the word of God. Now, we're doing that this morning. We're exposing ourselves to the word of God today. We're hearing an explanation on the scriptures, right? We're exposing ourselves to what God wants to say to us. Here's one of the great tragedies in the church right now. How many go, you know, for, for a lot of Christians, this is the only exposure they have all week. So the relationship with God is quite weak. You follow what I'm saying? Now, if I, I really want to get to know somebody, you know, Patty would not be happy with me if I only talked to her one day a week. I can tell you right now, that's not going to work. That isn't, you got that right, she said. It's, it's just going to be an unhealthy relationship. We're not going to know what's going on. We're going to have a lot of misdirection, miscommunication. We're not on the same page, right? But if you're talking all the time, you're in communication, then you're, you're on the same page. You can be, you're walking together. How can two be agreed unless they walk together? It's very important, communication. Folks, do we really want to know what God has to say? Don't, do you believe that God wants to communicate with you every single day? I do. Now, I want to just tell you what it's like for me as a pastor. I, I, don't, I, I have a devotional life apart from my study time. You may not know that, but that's true. I do. And it's a totally different experience than studying for, this, for a sermon. Totally different experience. There, I'm just waiting on God. I'm, I'm reading scripture. I'm asking God to open my heart to hear what he's going to say to me. And to me, you know, as much as I love reading, and believe me, I read a lot, the Bible is a unique book because God's speaking through this book. It's a supernatural book. God has, wants to convey thoughts and he wants to direct our steps and you know, change our attitudes and, and give us different insights and understanding. And so even this morning, I was up early reading, meditating, reflecting. This is even long before I even go to my sermon and just review what I'd written. And I, I came to the story of Absalom. Do you know how many times I've read this story? Do you know why a lot of Christians don't read the Bible? They go, I already know that. I already know that. Can I, just, can, I, can I just diffuse that thinking? You know, 
I've probably read it more than most of you. But yet every day I see something. Almost every day I see something. I go, wow, I didn't notice that before. And you see, at that moment, God's quickening something because he wants to say something to me. Listen to what, I'm gonna share a little insight that I received today as I was waiting on God. It's the story of Absalom. Remember, Absalom now is, you know, he's upset because his sister was raped. He, he murders his brother. He runs away. He's restored back, but David doesn't want to see him. And so Joab, you know, sends a woman from Tekoa in to talk to David about returning his banished son into his, back home from the banishment kind of thing because he ran away. He was afraid. And then she says this, like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. And you know when I read that, but that is not what God desires, it kind of leaped out at me. You ever have those moments when scriptures leap out at you? It goes, this isn't what I want. God says, I'm not for death. And then it says, rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. What is God saying? He says, you know, our sin has a way of causing a breach that we don't have a relationship with God, but God is always, that's not his desire. God's longing heart is to bring us to himself. God wants to restore relationship. God wants us to have harmony and reconciliation and restoration in his relationship. And I just, I I wrote that down in my journal because I journal these thoughts and I went, wow, God, you're just revealing your heart. And then last night when I was reading our Bible devotional time, in our, in, to the grandchildren, you know, Ariella says to me, Poppy, that's the prodigal story. I go, yep, that's right. It is the prodigal story. Again, showing me and reinforcing in my mind God's longing for us to be in relationship with him. And by the way, our text today is really bringing this out. God is warning them, if you don't do the right thing, what you're doing is estranging yourself from me when I long to have you near me. Actually, I want you to be wrapped around my waist. I want you to stick with me. Because when you do that, amazing things begin to happen in your life. The second thing that stood out to me is that when we refuse to listen, which means we don't do what God's asking us to do, it really speaks of our heart condition. It's filled with pride and wickedness. But we don't think of it that way. We just think, oh, I don't want to do that. No, God says, no, that's stubbornness, that's pride, and it's wicked. And it's going to lead to bad things. So how can I avoid that kind of attitude and action? Stay close to God. Stay close to God. Walter Brueggemann says the proper use of of a loincloth, NIV's belt, is to be worn by a man. It's to be worn, not to be hidden and buried. Thus, Israel's proper use is to cleave or to stick to, bound to, you know, Yahweh, not to be autonomous, stubborn, or committed to other gods. An improperly used loincloth becomes rotten and useless. He's saying, don't become rotten and useless. That's what God's trying to say to the people. Listen, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a design for you. And I think that it's a fitting description of a life apart from God. It loses direction. It loses value. And what did God have in mind when he created you and me? What purpose does God have for our lives? And I think one of the greatest tragedies of our hour is that so many people are now believing that life is a cosmic accident. That, you know, we're just a random bloop into the universe. You know, there's really no, you know, you don't really matter because, you know, it doesn't, you know, where did you come from and where are you going? That's all irrelevant. 
That's how people are thinking in our culture today. But the moment a person understands that there is a loving creator who has a purpose in creating us, making us into his image, to reveal to our lives the beauty and the majesty and the grace and the generosity of our creator, it changes the whole human equation. It gives us dignity and value in our lives. And I think that's powerful. And yet when we divorce ourselves from God and become autonomous, it puts us into a terrible position of trying to control the things in life that are uncontrollable. And isn't it amazing when you and I really have a a close relationship with our Father in heaven and know that he's in control of the universe, that you and I don't have to live with anxiety. Even though the world around us seems to be falling apart, God is under control. I love, you know, some of these uh, spirituals. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. Why are we sweating this stuff? God has got it all under control. But if you don't believe in God, what do you got left? I gotta control everything I can possibly control, right? And boy, does that ever create high levels of anxiety. So we have a choice, do we not? The last word is simply that they'll be completely useless, yet God now is gonna reveal. I think verse 11 is so powerful because that's where I got this idea from. It says, for as a belt is bound around the way, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown, my praise, and my honor, but they have not listened. In other words, when you and I are close to God, what streams from our life brings people to God. We bring honor to God. We bring praise to God. We bring glory to God. I love that. So the idea then is we need to respond in obedience to God. Let me move to the second snapshot. It's simply the destructive behavior that brings judgment on ourselves. What happens when we disregard the purposes of God and live a life of alcohol practical atheism. In other words, we're doing our own thing. We're living on our own page. We're doing our own agenda. Rather than saying, God, what is it you have for me? Could you imagine for a moment if every one of us in this room got up every single morning, spent time with God and said, Lord, I'm here to hear your voice. Speak to me. Opened up your Bible and let God start speaking into your life. Could you imagine if we got up every day and said, Lord, what are we doing today? And who are we seeing today? And what would you like me to do today? And show me, give me the right heart attitude so that when you bring people across my path, I'm responding in the way you'd have me to respond. Could you imagine if everyone in our congregation began to live like that? What would happen in our city? I think we would see the praise, the glory, and the honor of God being revealed into people's lives. Jeremiah 13, 12 says, say to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, every wineskin should be filled with wine. Oh, that's pretty obvious. I mean, why would you have a wineskin? That's what it's meant for, right? And if they say to you, don't we know that every wineskin should be filled with wine? Dr. Longman says it this way, the response would be incredulity. In other words, uh, yeah, that's the obvious, right? You know, Of course, every wineskin should be filled with wine after all. What other purpose were they made for? But at this point, there may be a subtle but devastating critique of God's people, but the text does not bring it out. As the wineskin was obviously made in order to hold wine, so Judah was made to be God's obedient people, but they weren't acting that way. In other words, they were violating their purpose. And when you violate your purpose, bad things begin to happen. Look at verse 13. Then tell them this. 
This is what the Lord says. I'm going, to, I'm going to fill with drunkenness all who live in this land. Oh, isn't that interesting? What is he doing? He's going, what happens when we don't do what God's asking us to do? We abuse what God designed for us. And what, what it creates is a state of drunkenness. Now, how many know when people are inebriated, they don't behave correctly? As a matter of fact, they stumble around. It says, and all who live in the land, including the kings and those who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all those living in Jerusalem, I will smash them against the other. Parents and children alike, declares the Lord. I'll allow them no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying them. This, this is, sounds pretty intense. Now, what is he basically saying? He's saying, you know, well, let me, let me give you Philip Riken's little take on it. He said, Jeremiah's taking a familiar proverb, and he's turning it into a riddle. In the words of John Calvin, they indeed all knew that the wineskins or bottles were made for wine, but they did not understand that they were the wineskin. And what God was going to pour into their lives was not what they thought. You know, the people of Judah were not the drinkers. They were the jars of wine. And this was a prophecy of God's judgment against sin. I will allow no pity or mercy or compassion to keep me from destroying him. If, this, if his people will not wrap their praise around him, he will pour the wine of his wrath into them. But just think about what's happening. You know, people are bumping along. And when you and I are not in the right place, you know what we do? A lot of damage. That's what he's basically saying. We stumble all over the place. We're intoxicated. And we make not only fools of ourselves, we, we damage other people's lives in the process, just like we damage our own lives. You know, it was really interesting. As I was thinking about this past week, the great tragedy in Texas, Uvalde, Texas. We've all heard it, right? It grieves our heart. I can't think of anything worse than to have someone come in with, filled with rage and anger, you know, and start killing children. I mean, it, 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 it just strikes at the very core of our being, does it not? And you know what we do when, we, when this comes up? We have a whole bunch of people upset. What are they, what are they upset about? They're upset about the fact that they're, they're concerned about the means of destruction. In other words, they, you know, they talk about gun control and all the rest of it. I'm not even talking about that. Do you know what upsets me and is a deeper concern? What about the person's heart that was so damaged that they went and did those things? We don't talk about that because that's a, more, that's a deeply moral question. And for most people, they don't have the answers to that issue. But you and I know that the human heart is in terrible shape. Isn't that true? Matter of fact, Jeremiah talks about it. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The real issue is a heart issue and the only hope for the heart is if God himself addresses the problem of the human heart. And God does address it in the person of Christ dying on the cross. And when you and I come to him and we become regenerated, we become born again, the spirit of God starts dwelling inside of us, he changes our hearts. And he gives us a new heart, a heart no longer full of rage and anger and frustration and, and, and all of that ugly evil. And inside he puts his spirit and he fills us with that. Where now there's compassion and concern and generosity and forgiveness. Let me move on to the third snapshot, living for ourselves rather than for God's glory. Whose agenda are we on? What's the criteria that you and I use to make our decisions for our lives and our families? What are the values that shape those decisions and who are we trying to please? Last week I talked about if God be against you, who can be for you? 
But if God is for you, even if the whole world is against you, who cares? Because really, you got God, you got everything going. Isn't that true? You know, self-will and arrogance are inner issues of our being that ultimately create despair and gloom within our souls. You say, why are so many people bummed out, Pastor? I'm going, because they don't really walk with God. Majority of them. Think about it. You know, many people today are living a nightmare. They really are. If you really talk to me, if you sat down in a counseling office and listened to people, you go, man, people are living a nightmare. There's so much brokenness in their world, so much pain in their world. And yet God is calling people in order to free us from that kind of captivity. Listen to what he says in verse 15. Hear and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Do you know when you and I don't listen, that's a sign of arrogance. When you and I don't pay attention, that means we, we think we're smarter. We got our own act together. He goes on in verse 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness. Before your feet stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to utter darkness and change it to deep gloom. This is the nightmare. That's the one I told you about earlier that you can't wake up from and you feel like you're falling or you're running or you can't get away. It's just terrible and you're terrified and you can't get out of there. You're just hoping for the thing to come to an end. You're hoping for the day to come and yet you're in the dark and you find yourself on a hillside and you just can't get away. This is a picture he's painting. What is he really saying? He's saying, listen, captivity is coming. This nation is coming. It'll be my sword. I will judge you for your sin, God is telling them. Jeremiah's response to the people's disobedience. It's really amazing. He says, if you do not listen, in other words, if you don't do what God's saying, if you don't obey God, if you don't repent, if you don't respond to him, I'll weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears because the Lord's flock will be taken. Jeremiah, he's not jumping up and down going, yeah, I just told you guys this is gonna happen to you. No, he's brokenhearted. He's weeping over their obstinacy, their stubbornness. And you know, I think that's just reflective of what God feels. I believe God, in a sense, weeps and is brokenhearted when we just do our own thing. He can see the pain we're causing each other and is breaking his heart to watch it. Say to the king and the queen mother, come down from your thrones for your glorious crowns will fall from your heads. In other words, you guys are coming down. The cities in the Negev, that's the southern part of Judah, will be shut up and there'll be no one to open them. All Judah will be carried into exile, carried completely away. And you know, a lot of these guys felt like, you know, the false prophets were coming along and saying, hey, Jeremiah's extreme, guys. Don't listen to him. He's so negative. God's not gonna do that. Listen, God's for peace. God's good. His temple is here. His presence is here. Meanwhile, Ezekiel, who's already in the first phase of the captivity, is writing back and he's saying, then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple. Because you see, in the Old Testament, God's presence was in the promised land. God's presence was uniquely in the temple. But God says, you know what? You guys have sinned so long. You've ignored me for so long. My presence is lifting. I'm leaving. I'm abandoning you. Wow. This is heavy stuff, guys. This is major stuff. And then, and here's the ultimate indictment. Trusting others rather than God. At the core of the issue of this autonomy that they were practicing was that they were literally looking to other nations to bail them out. They were looking to other people to bail them out. They were building alliances. Listen to what it says. Look up and see those who are coming from the north. 
Where is the flock that was entrusted to you, the sheep of which you boasted? He's speaking to the king and queen mother. He says, what will you say when the Lord sets over you those you cultivated as your special allies? Will not pain grip you like that of a woman in labor? What's he saying? Judah had nurtured an alliance with Babylon. And you know what's gonna happen? Babylon is gonna turn against her and ravish her. You know, sometimes we put our trust in a lot of things. You know what the sad part is? The things that we put our trust in eventually destroy us. That's what he's telling us here. You're putting your trust in that, it's gonna destroy you. That's exactly what Babylon did. And the pain will be so severe, like a child having a child. And then the final snapshot, the shame that exposed sin brings upon us. You know, we're always shocked when the consequences of sin reaches us. Isn't that amazing? People are stunned, like, I can't believe this happened to me. Well, you know, God sometimes doesn't quickly judge us. Why? Because he's trying to give us an opportunity to repent. But if we became obstinate and stubborn and we don't stop, God will let our sin be exposed. He does that over and over again. Martins and Walker say, if the physical punishment is that of being mastered by others, the emotional punishment is that of being subjected to shame. And in the ancient Israelite society, scholars increasingly de was depicted as an honor-shame society. Such shameful treatment was especially abhorrent. If you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? Now, I'm not saying all bad things happen because we've sinned. I'm not suggesting that. But let's face it, when we do sin, bad things do happen eventually. And then we act like, well, why is this happening to me? That's what they were doing. And he said, it's because of your many sins that your skirts have been torn off and your body mistreated. Now, this, this is really violent language, guys. Are you picking up what he's saying? They're being, they're being uh, violated. Sin violates us. We wonder, why did this happen to us? Here's a saying given to explain how difficult it is that once we've entered into sin's bondage, it now becomes hard to do the right thing. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah goes on, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard its spots? These are not racial comments, folks. He's not talking about that. What is he saying? He says, listen, we are who we are. But when you and I, get, you know, he says, neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. What he's basically saying is, by nature, we are what we are. And if we keep doing evil, eventually evil will overtake us and we will become addicted to it. It becomes a bondage in our life and it's really hard to escape it. Now that's all negative, but can I give you a word of hope? There's a power greater than our sin. It's the power of God's forgiveness. It's the power of God's grace. Listen to what John says. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you doesn't stop there, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God's power is greater. God can unlock the shackles of our sin. How beautiful is that? Then he goes on, but unless we repent, we're gonna be in trouble. He says, I will shatter, scatter you like chaff driven by the desert wind. Everybody knows what chaff is. That's the part of the wheat that's it's got nothing. There's no substance to it. It blows away. He goes, this is your lot, the portion I've decreed for you, declares the Lord, because you've forgotten me and trusted in false gods. Can I just challenge us today? What are you putting your trust in? What am I putting my trust in? Is it the true and the living God? But if we trust ourselves or other people or other things or technology or this or that in place of God, we're in trouble. 
It says, I will pull up your skirts over your face that your shame may be seen, your adulteries and lustful names, your shameless prostitution. I've seen your detestable acts on the hills and in the fields. Woe to you, Jerusalem. How long will you be unclean? Listen, he's using the analogy uh, you know, of sexual sin, not because sexual sin is worse than all the others, but he's describing that as the nature of our unfaithfulness to God. And then he closes the chapter with a question. It's very powerful. He says, how long will you be unclean? In other words, how long will you remain resistant to God's call to repentance? Will they choose to turn to God or continue in their rebellion? You know, but what's at the root of the motivating issue? It's simply this, to what end are we living for? In other words, what's our purpose? And I love how C.S. Lewis brings it out. He says, Man's chief end, he's talking about the Scottish Confession, you know, the Westminster Confession. He says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Just think about this, glorifying and enjoying. He says it's the same idea. He goes, fully to enjoy is to glorify. And in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. I'm going to say something. The greatest enjoyment you can have in life is to know and and, uh, experience God. There is no greater joy. It's the highest joy. We have not fully experienced it yet. We will one day. Psalmist adds, in God's presence is fullness of joy. Will we bind ourselves to God in order to make his renown and glory known? Will we embrace that meaning and significance that comes from fulfilling his purpose for our lives, which in turn delivers us from gloom and darkness? Or will we be obstinate, stubborn, filled with pride, living life independently of God? God sees us and asks, how long will we remain unclean? And I'm reminded in closing of the words of Joshua as he challenged his generation. I want to close with these scriptures. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, these are two different generations. In Jeremiah's day, they refused to listen and they were judged. But listen to the response of the generation of Joshua. And then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. They chose the Lord. It's the same choice we have day in and day out. You know, sometimes we think, well, I made that choice 25 years ago, 30 years ago. I wanna challenge you this morning. It's a choice we have to make daily. And I'm going to have a stand right now. You know, one of the things that happened, I I can go back in my mind's eye and I can think of moments when I, you know, surrendered to Christ. But it wasn't just one moment. I've done it in more than one moment. I've had many times in my life where I've said, okay, God was now speaking to me afresh. And I built a new altar to God, an altar of surrender. You know, full commitment to him. It's powerful. 
And I believe that it's important that we keep building altars, that we're worshipers, that we're doing this when God's speaking to us and saying, I want you to fully surrender to me. I want you to bind yourself to me. I want you to be faithful to me. I want you to be that kind of person that brings honor and glory to my name. And with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, see, I believe God's speaking to hearts today. I believe the Spirit of God is talking to you today. And he's calling you to make a full surrender, to build a new altar this morning, to lay yourself on that altar as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And that's you today. God's speaking to you. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Okay? Yeah, lots of people. Their hands are going up. You see, some of us, we've done that. But you know, I, I keep saying, I want to challenge you. It's not just a once. Maybe you're, you're where you need to be. That's great. It's a great place to be. But can I just challenge you? It's got to be done every day. Every day. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. How many here can honestly say, Pastor, I'm a daily Bible reader waiting on God to hear his word? See, I got my hand up. That's where I'm at. I want to hear his word. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to pray for us today. Because you know my heart, as your, as your pastor, this is my heart for you, that you will hear the voice of God, that you will live a fully surrendered life, and you will be the people that will bring renown, praise, and glory to God. You will be those people. I know there are people out there like that, but I want you to be that person. That's my heart for you. I'm gonna pray for you this morning. So Lord, I thank you that you're speaking into our lives today. You're challenging us. You want us to be fully surrendered to you. You want us to be the kind of people that in a sense, we're wearing you like a linen garment. That we're clothed by God. And that's really what the outpouring of the Spirit was about. In Luke, it said, and they were clothed, on, clothed from on high. They were clothed by God. And that we were that kind of a people. And I pray today, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit. That you'd give us a heart after you. That we would have a longing to, to have that intimacy with you. That every day, communication with you would happen. We'd be hearing your voice speaking into our lives that you'd be quickening your word to our hearts, you'd making yourself known and real to us, that you would be flowing through our lives moment by moment and day by day. And we thank you for that, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you would set captives free today, that you just release them from the chains. You know, you, you're the only one that can break us from addictions. Deliver, I pray today. Set us free to serve you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this, this morning.